Hey everyone, welcome back to the Inking Out Loud podcast. For today's episode, we are making a return to the Star Wars Expanded Universe with Vector Prime, the first book in the wildly popular and controversial New Jedi Order series. I am, as always, your host, Drew McCaffrey, and my wife, Lauren, is here to continue her journey through the EU. Cheers, Drew. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, oh no! Oh no! That's whew, good thing I had a glass here for this. Um, <laughs> wow, this is quite the intro. Uh, mine's supposed to be the uh, foamier one. Holy cow! Not yours. <laughs> Before we head into the episode itself, a quick reminder that we're on Patreon. Support for the show there helps keep the lights on and gives you access to all kinds of fun bonus content, such as exclusive episodes, exclusive original fiction, and more. Okay. (laughs) And now, uh, as I'm managing my incredibly foamy beer, um, yikes, Uh, recap time. And this is going to be more than just a recap of the book itself and... uh, And I'm going to try to do a quick get you up to speed for anybody who hasn't read all the other assorted expanded universe novels uh, leading up to this one, because there are a lot. Vector Prime is set 25 years after the events of the original Star Wars film, after decades of the Galactic Civil War and countless victories for our heroes. The Empire is a shattered shell of itself, now known as the Imperial Remnant, and is no longer at war with the New Republic, following the Pelion-Gaversam Treaty six years earlier. In this more peaceful galaxy, Luke Skywalker has been growing his new Jedi Order. Leia and Han have retired from politics and the military, and their children, twins Jason and Jaina, along with their youngest, Anakin, are budding Jedi. But the galaxy is not without conflict. The twin worlds of Aramamul and Osarian have a long-running feud, which is reaching the boiling point thanks to the incendiary politics of Ramamulian leader Nam Anor. Leia, Luke's Jedi wife Mara Jade, and Jaina Solo are sent to meet up with the New Republic battlecruiser Mediator to help broker a peace. But Nam Anor is interested in no peace at all, and fools Leia while launching a surprise attack on the Mediator before fleeing his embattled world. Meanwhile, scientist Danny Kui is part of a team of explorers stationed on the remote planet of Belkadan, monitoring extragalactic phenomena. When they track an anomalous entry into their galaxy, a fellow scientist called Yeoman Carr springs his plan into action. He is in fact a member of the Praetorate Vong, the forward scout force of the Yuzon Vong species who have traveled from another galaxy entirely to invade. After Danny and a few other scientists take their only ship to scout the location of the anomaly, he sabotages the local Excal team's communications and begins a catastrophic bioengineering event that transforms Belkadan's surface into an inhospitably alien landscape. Meanwhile, Dany and her crew discover the horrifying truth of the Yuzan Vong invasion, and she is captured. And all the while, the Solo and Skywalker families take a vacation to Lando Calrissian's latest business venture on the twin planets of Dubrillion and Destrillion. They spring into action, though, when emergencies start piling up. Luke and Mara, despite Mara's terminal illness, head to Belkadan. Han, Chewie, and Anakin go to the world of Serenpidal. On Serenpidal, they discover a planet in chaos. Its lone moon is suffering an apocalyptic deterioration of its orbit and will crash into the world in mere hours, the result of Yuzan Vong's sabotage. They scramble to help evacuate civilians, but Chewie is left on the ground as they make their escape 
and dies in the fiery lunar destruction. Luke and Mera encounter Yeoman Carr and Belkadan and defeat him, returning to Debrillian with important new information about the cryptic aliens. They realize that Helska, where Danny and the Excal crew went, is the center of the invasion. With New Republic reinforcements, including the Star Destroyer Rejuvenator, they launch an attack. But it's a disaster, as the Vong battle coordinator, called a Yamask, perfectly executes maneuvers against them, and their strange biotech easily overcomes even the most advanced New Republic ships. A second desperate attack is arranged, aiming to kill the Yamask. As Jason Solo lands on the surface of Helska and rescues Danny, the attack succeeds and the Vong advance force is defeated and scattered. But throughout all of this, Namanor is still out there, a secret Vong agent. And the Praetor at Vong was only the beginning. So, Lauren. Oh, man. <laughs> we've, we've done uh, a bit of Expanded Universe together. Yes. Um, and then you've read some other, like you've read the Essential Chronology, um, yes. kind of catching up through the uh, sort of ancillary books, the the Young Jedi Knights and Junior Jedi Knights and, you know, the the Black Fleet Crisis and Callista and all of that. Slash um, you told me. Yeah, and we've had conversations and things and... Um, but we've also read through a good chunk of the books and, and we're, we're finally at the new Jedi order and I'm, I'm curious to get your opinion on what you think of the tone change for the series in this. You mean starting with this book or starting with new Jedi order? Uh, like the difference in reading, reading and talking about the stories of, Rogue Squadron and Han and Luke and Leia and Lando and Jason, Jaina and Anakin through the last 20 years of Star Wars history. And then suddenly you get to 25 ABY and Vector Prime and the change in the galaxy as the Vong arrive. So it's interesting and you definitely see it a lot in the politics politics the the political scenes with leia Mm -hmm. and that final one made me mad yeah (laughs) um where they don't want to believe that the way that things have been going which is relatively well for the new republic yeah is going to change Mm -hmm. that there could be another threat that there is anything else and that like they can't just sit comfortably in their political seats and do their own things yeah and manipulate and what you know whatever their their purposes are yeah there is so much resistance and it really surprised me like how very comfortable they were like they they have they are so far out from what they were in the beginning as the rebels Mm -hmm. yeah you think about the if you go back to like rogue squadron and wedges gamble where you had the provisional council and the way they were talking about the war and how, you know, there were still political maneuverings. Borsk Falia was still around back then yes. trying to advance the Bothan cause. And but there are many. Power. But, but yeah, overall, the there's an understanding in the political structure of the early New Republic that, like, look, the war is what's important right now. It like this is for the betterment of 
the galaxy, for the betterment of the people, we need to do what's right before we worry about our own individual agendas. And we can't afford to play games here because we will all die. But now everybody's playing their own games. And, and you've got like the political leaders that we had in the past. And I'm not just talking Mm -hmm. Leia, Mm -hmm. um, have retired Mm -hmm. are out of politics. Mon Mothma's gone. Leia's gone. Even Pont Gaverson, the, the old chief of state who brokered the peace between the Imperial Remnant and the Re- Republic, he's gone. Borskphalia now is the chief of state. And he is frustrating. <laughs> but, but I think on top of that, there's a, a, probably the biggest tone change is nobody's safe. Chewie dies in this book. For the first time, one of the main characters of the original trilogy dies in the Star Wars Expanded Universe. You were not happy with that. No. You were pissed off when I read that to you. Did not like. (laughs) Do not like. It didn't get better. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Still mad. Okay. So uh, I will say, before I kind of go on with the in-universe context of this, um, obviously I've read Vector Prime before, but I've only read it once, and it was 17 years ago, like more than half my life ago. And, you know, I, I was a junior in high school. And I remember really enjoying this book and, and thinking it was action-packed and, you know, adventurous and and a lot of fun. And I had forgotten a lot of what actually happens in it. I certainly forgot a lot about the politics. I didn't remember it being so heavily political and Mm. so frustrating. Um, And and not even in like the specific political scenes, but uh, the captain of the rejuvenator, the guy's an idiot. He's so, you know, he, he digs his heels in. He's like, no, I know the right way to do things. We're going to do it my way, not your way. And he gets himself killed. <laughs> like, and, uh, yeah. Pride cometh before a fall. Yeah, exactly. Um, Shocker. And so there, there were a lot of things. I, I remembered the belt. I remembered like, you know, the oh, asteroid the belt and the runs. I remembered Luke and Mara going to Belkadan and fighting Yeoman Carr. And I remembered the rejuvenator being destroyed, but, that was kind of it. I didn't remember a lot of the other stuff. Um, I didn't remember there being so much Kip Duran and Worth Skidder um, or Miko Reglia, the Jedi who's captured with Danny and, and is killed ultimately. Yeah. Um, like, and so reading through this almost felt like a first read for me. Uh, it, which is funny. We just, you know, last week's episode was Sabriel which I had a similar experience with only without quite as long a gap between reads. It was about 10 years with Sabriel. This one's almost twice that. Um, and so comparing the reads, the rereads, uh, I enjoy Sabriel a lot more than Vector Prime. I'm surprised. Uh, I kind of think this book sucks. Really? Yeah. I didn't um, think you'd feel that way, Drew. 
and this is this is going to be controversial, and and I think it's kind of a bummer because I th- I think the new Jedi Order overall is very good. It's nineteen books though, written by like seven or eight different authors, and this is the only one written by R.A. Salvatore, and it. Like, I get why they picked him to write the first book. He's the big name. He's known. You know, he's he's a big deal in, in fantasy and especially a big deal in IP where he wrote all the Forgotten Realms uh, Drizzt books. Uh, he, he had done, I think he did the, oh, did he do Attack of the Clones, I want to say, the, no, the movie novelization? Anyway, but... I don't think he's a very good writer. <laughs> like I'm reading through it out loud to you. Um, I've talked about this on our rogue squadron and, and race squadron episodes where I'd be reading these books aloud to you and find myself editing, editing as I read. Um, this book took that to a wildly different level I think this is a poorly written book. Like he just does not have, he doesn't write good prose. Or at least he didn't at this time. Huh? I mean, this is well into his career. Oh, it is? Yeah. Uh, it, it was genuinely frustrating reading through this book. I don't think he writes very good space battles. Uh, a lot of his characters felt stilted. Um, I guess we should clarify that you read this to me, right? Yes. Yeah. So I didn't see it. I just heard it. Yeah. Yeah. And you edit it as you. I tried to, but the, there's only so much you can do. Like I read fast. I certainly read faster than I speak. So I'm usually I'm usually a line or so ahead of what I'm telling to you. And and in in my mind, I'm thinking like, is there a way to like you know if, if in this sentence he uses the same description three times, which he did often. He did. He did do that. Yes. Um. I'm like can I come up with a fun synonym in the blink of an eye to change to like make it more fun for Lauren? So is it a fun challenge for you to do that? So it's a fun challenge to a point it got it and it passed that point with this book. Um, And certainly reading it by myself, I would not have had fun. Uh, Like, and, and this is really digging into the style, the, the writing and, and the structure of the book. I think this is a horribly overwritten book. There's really not that much that happens in it. But what there is, is just drawn out. Like it, it felt like at points he took three or four chapters and some of these chapters are long to write what could have taken one chapter. Huh? Um, I think about the the attack on Helska and the the first failed attack. It's a long battle sequence, goes very poorly, and they flee. And then we get like another long chapter of them sitting back and arguing and deliberating and finally coming up with another plan. And then that plan gets subverted because Jason and, and Jaina preempt Luke and Mara and, and everything gets messed up again. And then they have to jump off again and, and rush their attack. And then it win, and then they win. And I'm like, if, if Aaron Alston had written that there would have been a regroup and an impromptu plan. And it would have kept the same level of tension, if not more so 
And he could have done it in a chapter instead of four chapters. And so when I'm already annoyed with the the word choices, with the characterizations of certain characters, I think he did I think he did okay with some. I think he did a pretty good job with Jason, Jaina, and Anakin and Lando. Uh, I like what he did with Danny Kui. Yeah. I really liked uh, the points of view we got from Yeoman Carr and Namanor. They were great. But the the OGs, the Luke, Han, Leia, felt caricaturized. They were hysterical constantly. Han, Han especially. Oh, yeah. Well, like... We'll we'll get into that in in character in a little bit here because there's a lot to talk about with that. Yeah. Um. But but this is the overall kind of momentum of the book and and my reading experience where I was frustrated with a lot of the authorial choices. I was frustrated with the structure of the book. Um. It it was really weird reading through. I didn't. I always thought of Chewie dying near the end of the book, but he dies like barely halfway through. Yeah. Um. I remember pausing multiple times to comment. Yeah. And be like, what? 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 Well, and you were, you were like, you didn't want to believe that it happened. Cause you're like, there's no way that just happened. The way that it did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, and this is why the series is controversial. Like the vast majority of people reading these books are not nitpicking word choices and syntax and narrative structure the way they I am. build up. But events like you just killed off one of the main characters of the original trilogy. That was hyper controversial back when this book came out. People were angry that Chewie died. I, I think I would have been more okay with it. Had it been done better. I don't like the way it happened. It makes me mad. Mm. See that scene. I actually do like I think there's an appropriate level of emotion to it. I think that final image of the the boiling, burning moon slamming down into the city and Chewie, knowing he's he's done for, turns around, raises his fists, and lets out this Wookiee war yell, defiant to the last. I love that. That's such a Chewie way to go out. That, that is a chewy way to go out, but like, I mean, the other events and the way it felt, the okay. way it was written. Hmm. Okay. I got, I was mad. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So like this is overall, I don't think this is a very good book, but there are still things Salvatore got right. And, and I think there are enough of those that for somebody who's not going to be as like, critical as you yeah somebody who's not preparing to talk about the book for an hour to an hour and a half on a podcast <laughs> uh there's enough there for for people to read and be like wow this is a paradigm shift this is a this is a game-changing book i gotta buckle up i want to see where this goes because the new jedi order is a big investment it's 19 freaking books plus a couple of short stories like that's unusual for for IP, you know, like for Star Wars, especially. The expanded universe is largely built of trilogies and things, uh, a couple of standalone books here and there. But other than this, uh, the post-Return of the Jedi, 
mm, timeline up to New Jedi Order. I think the longest series was Rogue Squadron, which was four books in a row, and then a fifth a few years down the line with Isard's Revenge. Like, X-Wing as a whole is nine books, but really it's like two different things with Wraiths and Rogues. Those have been my Um, favorite so far. But other than that, you're looking at, you know, the Thrawn trilogy. Dark Empire is a trilogy. Black Fleet Crisis is a trilogy. Um, There's the, like, unofficial Callista trilogy. Uh, You got a lot of standalones. The New Rebellion, Truce at Bakura, Tatooine Ghost. Um, I know you've got the Corellian trilogy. Uh, and, And so there's... At least as far as the adult stuff goes, you do have the junior Jedi Knights and young Jedi Knights, which are longer running, but those are like short, fast, you know, 120, 150 page long books. Uh, And so New Jedi Order was kind of a a big deal where they're like, look, we got all the headliners, your favorite writers from the expanded universe, except for Timothy Zahn. Um, You know, we've got Michael A. Stackpole. We've got James Lucino. We've got... Aaron Alston, we've got Matthew Stover, we've got, uh, you know. I just want Matthew Stover all the time. Oh, I mean, Aaron gonna, Alston, too. We'll, I, I'm. Yeah, we'll get to both of them. I'm very excited. Uh, those are. He did such a good job with. Yeah. Mm. Um, but, but as befitting their station, they're in the back half of the New Jedi Order, where they, they got the, they got some the big, big stuff to, yes. to deal with. Um, Troy Denning, of course, he, he's, um, he, he kind of becomes a focal point of the EU, the real world perspective of the EU from New Jedi Order onward. Um, when we talk about the New Jedi Order, there are a few kind of like tentpole books. In fact, as I recall, when it first came out, they released five books in hardcover and the rest in paperback. Uh, the five books being like the, these are the books you got to read. And it was like Vector Prime. um, I think it was Vector Prime, Balance Point, Star by Star, Traitor, Destiny's Way, and the Unifying Force. And Star by Star, right in the middle of that, is the Troy Denning book. And that's like, well, we'll, we might have to do two episodes on Star by Star. That that book's a big deal. Um, It's a good name. It, it is. Uh, there are some great, great titles. Even in the, the chapter titles, I, I will say, this is a, a style point that I'll, I'll give him some credit for. Um, not used to chapter titles in Star Wars books. And he he definitely has some fun ones. I think a few of them are overwritten. But, like, chapter one is Fraying Fabric. Chapter two, Intergalactic Eyes. You get things like chapter six, Take Me Far, Far Away. Hmm. You know, uh, appropriate for the chapter, but also, you know, gives you that that spice of like, oh, nostalgia, the galaxy far, far away, the honor of dying, um, awaiting the goddess's arrival is one of the chapters. The last pose of defiance. That's Chewie's. You know, that was where Chewie died. Um, you know, so he he has some really good uh, uh, chapter titles, which is. In fact, I'm trying to think if there. I don't recall another book in the EU, though. Granted, I haven't read many of them for 20 years before this that had chapter titles, so that's fun. Uh, 
yeah, it's, it's a mixed bag. I wish this book were better for what it means to the EU. Um, but I think it's good enough that it can still serve as an entry point to what is, in my opinion, the best the EU has to offer as the new Jedi order series overall. That's, that's a big bar for me considering some of the books we've read and, you know, the X-Wing books that we've read that I loved. Yeah. Well, and part of it is the, the scale there's time and space given to each of these characters. And, and we've even at the time of uh, recording this, we have started into the second book, the first Michael Stackpole book. And we have a new main character in it. Corrin Horn is back, like, because it's Michael Stackpole. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you'll see that as you move through the series where authors will come in and if they had previously worked in the EU, they'll bring their old characters back into the mix. Cool. And so we have a huge ensemble cast for the series. And this this book kind of just kicks it off with the, the OGs. You know, this is about Han, Luke, Leia, the people closest to them, and the next generation, Jason, Jaina, Anakin. And the young Jedi, a little bit. Jason, Jaina, and Anakin. No, no, like some of the other Jedi that he's training. Oh, yeah, like Kip Duran. I don't think of him. He's a full-blown adult at this point, you know. Um, but yes, we're, we're going to see more of the new Jedi Order. There's a reason the series is named that. Um, and how they become embroiled in Republic politics. The, the book even sort of kicks off with that, where where there's a scene of like Kip Duran and, and he's kind of got his own disciples among the Jedi who are hot headed and, and think they need to be off, like inserting themselves in the galaxy's problems. And Luke doesn't like that. And the Republic certainly doesn't like that. And so Luke's dealing with the political fallout. And then we have this moment of Anakin and Jason having a philosophical debate over the idea of the force. And, yeah, I did like that. Yeah. Uh, and and we're going to see that carried forward in their character arcs and in the overall plot. Um, and this is what a 19-book series allows you to do. It's a lot of space. It's a lot of time to explore things that you don't get to in a 250 or 300-page Star Wars book, typically. Hmm. Okay. So... But let's go into characters more fully here. Do you want to start with Han and, and Chewie? Feels like the, the right place to start. There's a lot here, though. Yeah. Um, so Han, especially, is he's rough in this book. He's very emotional. He's very over the top. And it kind of surprised me because I think of movie Han mm-hmm. and... I mean, he's really sarcastic. He's kind of subdued, except at certain points. Right. I mean, when you got to go, you got to go. And he'll like scream at somebody like Chewie, like go faster or something. Or like when he shows up to save Luke in the trench run and lets out the, woo, you know, kind of. Yeah. When they blow it up. and But most of the time in the moment, he's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, here he is not. He's, at all. 
post Chewie's death, and I and I think this is mostly reasonable. Like he just lost his best friend. Of course, you're losing it. He's gonna lash out. He's gonna be, but it is really awful the way he treats Anakin. Like his youngest son, he immediately blames for Chewie's death, and he is terrible about it. How old Anakin. is Anakin again here? Uh, I think Anakin is ooh, 16. Let me double check this. Um, Anakin Solo. Uh, where is, where is Wikipedia? There we go. Um, I'm pretty sure he's 16. He's 15. Okay. He's 15. He's vulnerable here. Yeah. This is, yeah. this is not a, I got it all figured out. I know what I'm doing type of age. This is a very flexible. No, very much not. And, and I think that early scene with Jason serves as a, uh, a demonstration of that where Anakin's sort of the hot headed impressionable one when, when he and Jason duel and, and during their duel, they have this philosophical contest and, and we're kind of shown in that scene that like, no, Jason's the wiser one. He's the one more stable. He's got a rock. He's got a center and Anakin is a bit untethered right now. And he's looking for direction. Well, I also think like, I mean, Jason's got his sister. They're, they're twins. They've had, yes, and they they've had this, each other like, the special whole time. Force bond, telepathic bond. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Harder when, when you're the third and you're left behind a lot. Like yeah. this is the biggest talking to a lot of people who have a lot of kids. Um, this is the biggest dynamic change in the siblings is number three. Hmm. Okay. Like going three to four, not like this, but two to three is like yeah, I could I could definitely see that. Sorry, back to back to But but so Anakin, like he's in a vulnerable stage of his life to begin with, and now his dad is being horrible to him. Yeah. Like m- cruel almost at points. Just why why lash out at him and not like I understand the dumb Yeah. Whatever. Uh but this is your baby is your last son. Yeah. And it's so it between Chewie's death and the way Han acts in this book, it makes a lot of sense that longtime Star Wars fans would be upset with this because it doesn't feel like Han Solo, the Han that you, you knew and loved from the movies who was joking and snarky and fun. This is not fun Han <laughs> in any way. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's not even fun. So you think you would think that before things get serious, when they're doing the competitive runs, he's, he's like super concerned, like helicopter parent. He is helicoptering. Yeah, he he and Leia both. Yeah, Leia it makes a little more sense for, but yeah, <laughs> he doesn't want them to have any kind of like freedom here. He would like to keep them close, which. I mean, I, I get it's, he's... It's tough because his kids are Jedi, you know? He mm-hmm. had to let them go early. And, and like, yeah. Again, there there are ways to explain it because 
if you read back through, you know, all the EU books, their children were constantly targeted for abductions and assassinations. Like they were, there was a whole like series of years in there where they had to move from secret base to secret base with like nanny security droids for them and whole installations built around the defense of the twins. And like, and so, yeah, they're reaching their early adulthood now and there's going to be a protectiveness and there's going to be a, a reluctance to let them go. Um, but, but at the same time, it still doesn't feel like original trilogy Han Solo. Yes. Yeah. This feels like he's been pulling his hair out steadily for for years. Yeah. Yeah. So like how you read through the, the expanded universe, how you experience the story will affect it. If you've been reading the previous like 30 books religiously, you'll have gotten used to the changes in Han and Leia and Luke as they grew up post return of the Jedi. But if you're just reading through like doing a couple of highlights and then you jump right to the new Jedi order, this could be really jarring. And I think that's likely the case with a lot of people who read this. I will say Chewie didn't feel the same, like the same big change. No. But I, Chewie's also not as dynamic a character just by the nature of him being uncommunicative to the audience. Yeah. He can roar and growl and, and warble and whatever, and some of the characters will understand him, but we never do. And so we're... Well, it's it's easier... We never get a Chewie point of view. Like, he's never the main character of the book. He doesn't get the same depth. He's there as Han's loyal sidekick. I will say that's easier in a movie. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, um, but then we got, we got Luke and Mara. So this is the first book we've read together that Mara is a major character in. Uh, she, I guess major character. Yeah. 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 She showed up in, in I Jedi a little Mm. bit, but she wasn't like a point of view character. She was only kind of in and out of the story. I mean, she's kind of a bad guy at the beginning. In Thrawn, yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I had a hard time trusting her. Yeah. But it's it's kind of cool to have this turn around into a relationship. Yeah, this is the first book we've read where she's married to Luke. Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah. So. Which is kind of wild. I was I kind of pictured him as... The hermit, not necessarily getting married. I don't. I don't know. This is a major difference between Disney EU because he is the hermit, in, and in yeah, a, and the Disney. classic expanding universe legends as it is now branded. Um, but and and I'm really curious to like see how you think about her because you've seen her be more active before this, but now she has this illness that she's currently the only person in the galaxy who's contracted it and not died, but it's an ongoing fight and she's kind of losing the fight. Um, you know, she, when she exerts herself, she can't bend her concentration on using the force to fight off the, the disease. Um, and so she's not as active 
not as dynamic a character in this book, but I think there's still, from my perspective at least, I think there's still a lot of value in her being here. I agree. Uh, we get to see a different side of her. Yeah, well, she's she's taking time with Jaina mm-hmm. as a mentor. Yeah. Like, this is our first time, your first time, seeing her in a wife role, and you're also kind of getting to see her in a mother role or or an aunt role. Yeah. Because um, she's literally Jaina's aunt. But, uh, but there's the added layer of that relationship in that Mara's her Jedi master. Jaina's her apprentice. And so there's a, a further level of responsibility uh, that goes beyond just, you know, I'm, I'm your, uh, your mother's sister-in-law. So we get, we get to see a little more of a vulnerable, emotional side of, of Mara Jade, which is fun. And well, it maybe brings... not fun, but, but enjoyable. Well, it brings out another side of, of Luke too. Yeah. That we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. He can't fix this. And he loves her dearly. And we haven't seen a relationship with Luke. And we haven't seen him be vulnerable in this way. No. And uh, we, we've seen uh, horny Luke in in the uh, Callista books. But... What? And over, over the years, there were a lot of different authors in the EU. We haven't read a lot of these books. But there were many different authors who had different ideas of what Luke Skywalker's romantic life should look like. Oh yeah. He was going to be with that, uh, with the engineer. Oh, uh, that was wedge. Oh, wedge was going to be, Oh, I'm yeah. mixing up. Um, but no, so the very first chronologically, the first expanding universe book is called the truce of Bakura. Um, in, in universe chronology it takes place immediately after, uh, the battle of Endor and return of the Jedi. And there's a character named Gariel Captasan who's, very much a romantic interest for Luke. And then you get um, uh, over, over the years, a few more attempts at building relationships. There's a little bit in dark empire with a character. There's the Callista thing. Um, and then you get marriage aid. And there was the clear chemistry in, in how Timothy Zahn wrote it. And I think part of the reason this was the most successful was because Timothy Zahn was the most successful at making Luke feel like original trilogy Luke. Oh. Um, so he understood the personality more and he could build a relationship out of that. I don't know. So, so yeah, you, you have in this book the result of a decade of... Uh, real world work on Luke Skywalker as a character and Mary Jade as a character and, and 20 years of, of in universe work. So uh, the other character I want to talk about uh, just briefly is Lando. And I think he's the one that of the original crew Salvatore got the best. I will agree. He feels like Lando. And also he's scheming like Lando. And he's still fun. Right. He he's got the attitude. He's he's got the the suave kind of way of talking. He's he's got the um 
you know, like he'll talk you into a corner to the point that you're finding yourself agreeing with him without realizing it. Um, he's got his crazy business venture because he's always got to have one of those. <laughs> well, we've seen a couple of those, I guess. Yeah. But I, I like this one, not only because it's useful and we needed it for the plot, but right. But it is a little, it's pretty darn crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the the twin planets and the mining and the the belt that he's trying to turn into a destination and yeah, but but so it was. I felt like the scenes when we had Han and Lando together, it, Han it got felt better. more like classic Han. Yeah, but when Han was away from Lando, which is for most of the book, uh, it it was a lot more hit or miss. But then we have you know, Kip Duran, who's a hothead. Yep. Um, and we've got the, uh, the solo kids. And like I said at the start, I think largely he did a good job with the solo kids. He's not the best. We got a lot, a lot more to come, um, in the series and, and we'll see varying degrees of how authors handle the next generation but I think it's important, and one of the reasons why, even though I didn't like this book very much, I still think it works for what it needed to do. Because this series overall is about bringing that next generation up to the, the same stage as the original characters. And you need a threat for that. Yeah. A galaxy-wide threat for that. Oh, sure. Yeah, you can't just do the Empire over and over and over and over again. Right. And um, I... And so I'm glad you brought that up because the last character thing I was going to ask you about is what do you think of the Yuzon Vong? What about Danny? Danny too? Ooh, I forgot about Danny. Danny's great. I really like Danny. I know you do. Um, <laughs> she, she has, I wish there were a little more of her in this book, honestly. Um, she was a strong point. In the early going, she's great. Yeah. But once she's captured, she doesn't get to really do much other than be like, I'm strong-willed. Yes. But when she's active on the Xgal installation on Belkadan and and like figuring things out and putting puzzle pieces together, that's where I enjoyed her the most. Yeah. And and yeah. She I I like scientist characters. I tend to really enjoy that. There's a reason why Chris is my favorite character in the Cosmere. Um, there's a reason I enjoyed Project Hail Mary. You and you know, liked Quizooks. Quizooks uh, mm, is fine. She was kind of ancillary. Um, uh, I, I was going to say, I, there's a reason I like Ashara Comade in the Divine Cities or Berenice in Foundryside. Like, I love scientist characters. So. And Danny fits that mold. Yeah. I, I felt like that early on in the book was one of the strongest parts of the book. Mm -hmm. Danny Kui on the mm -hmm. outpost with the other scientists and Yeoman Carr. Mm. That was that was strong. So do you feel appropriately intimidated by the Yuzon Vong? Yes. Uh, I kind of lost that towards the end, but in the beginning, it was definitely an Oh, oh no. You mean they're not part of the force? You can't yeah, sense them? Yeah, that's a big deal. Hmm. And our usual weapon 
system and design is not effective because they're completely different. Yeah. And so much of it is biological. They're almost like uh, the Borg doesn't work as well, but they're um, kind of like the Zerg from Starcraft. Oh, I was thinking Battlestar Galactica. The, oh, Cylons. Cy- well, the Cylon well, ships. Oh yeah, because they they have like living. Yeah. Oh, oh, I could see that. But also, like the Cylons, they infiltrate in advance, and they can appear. They have the Ooglith maskers that make them look like whatever human or or other alien they want to. Yes. So much of this um, biological technology mm-hmm. is. Boogie. Yes, and and you've only scratched the surface. Oh no. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I think this is the final thing that uh, Salvatore succeeded in was making it clear this is just the beginning. This is just their their scouting force, and they're dangerous as hell. We we get to see a Yamask. We get to see the power of. Their like instantaneous telepathic coordination, um, which is honestly reminiscent of uh, Jedi battle meditation. If you think back to the Throng trilogy, or or you know, obviously you haven't read some of the old old comics, but like the Tales of the Jedi, um, what what some of the most powerful old Republic Jedi could do, um, where you can coordinate minds across a whole battlefield Whoa. and make everybody work in unison. And that's basically what the Yamask is doing here. And that's why the New Republic fleet was just torn apart. So uh, there, there are real threats to the Vaughn. You don't know they're there. You don't know their scouts are there. You can't sense them in the force. And they have... Uh, the technological advantage of mystery. The Republic doesn't know how their ships work. But they've been scouting and they've learned a lot. Yeah, we, yeah, this is something we'll get into more in the second book. Um, but if, uh, the people who are, who are really engaged, um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about this in a few minutes here uh, when we're talking beers. Um, they're learning. They're working on it. But in the meantime, the Republic, the galaxy is at a huge disadvantage. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I respected them as, as an enemy. Good. Good. So I think that's a, a good spot to leave off on discussion of the new Jedi Order. But uh, as I said, we have some beers to talk about. We got a final draft. Um, both of our beers today are from the same brewery. Do you want to go first, Lauren? You can. Okay, cool. Uh, so this is from Cerebro Brewing Company. Uh, they're one of the best Colorado breweries. We love them. Uh, just delightful. They, they kind of specialize in... They have like three main thrusts. I would say they, they make good hazy IPAs. They make great fooder aged lagers. And when we say fooder. Um, yeah. Look at, look at your pen. Yeah. Right, right here uh, on, 
on my desk, I have a, a lapel pin that, that has a, a wooden barrel and WTF is a fooder and that's spelled F O E D E R. Um, this is a, a wooden vessel for aging. Um, traditionally it was used to store wine and then you would, right? Not just wine. I mean, it was used to store everything. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're, we're talking like, I mean, this is just your, your transport vessel for anything. But oh, as far okay. as like long-term non-mobile but for storage. But beer, they would take what had previously stored wine and then put beer in it and let things deal with the, uh, the, the bugs and, and flavors of the wine. It wasn't so much intentional at first. Sure. It was yeah. mostly just, if I put this on a ship, mm-hmm. A, it's a balance for the ship. They want weights in certain places, so it's very cheap to transport. But B, like, it, this thing's just very transportable. Yeah. This vessel. But so over the years, uh, fooder usage in beer has become a lot more dialed in, and we, we have, um, like a company in the United States now that makes fooders specifically for beer that have never stored anything before. Um, it, they're in Missouri. They're the one who did the egg shaped fooder at new Belgium. Yeah. I keep seeing them yeah. everywhere. Actually. Um, um, are they just called fooder makers of America? It's something like that. I believe so. Uh, but, but so, uh, cerebral does loggers, traditional, a lot of traditional German styles. Um, and then they toss them in fooders to age to add their own twist on them. And the one I'm drinking is a fooder aged fest beer. Uh, so think of like an Oktoberfest style beer. Uh, it spent two weeks in the oak fooder and then an additional six weeks in a stainless steel fooder. 5.9%. Uh, it is super good. As 5.9? Yeah, high high ABV for a fest beer. A fest beer should end at five. Yeah, because like the point of it is you're gonna drink a ton of it at a festival. It's three to five. Yeah. Um, okay. But different uh, different sensibilities in America when most people aren't gonna be buying this beer in huge quantities to drink at like a festival. This is a uh, from from a business perspective, marketing perspective, this is a prestige beer. This is a special occasion kind of thing. You know, like this this one can of beer costs like seven dollars at the um, at the liquor store. Anyway, the name of it. Uh, this is for Danny and her ex gal crew. It is called Anomaly Detection. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah. So I, I realize I should clarify, like, wooden vessels versus fooders. Generally, when I mean, or I'm going to say fooder, I mean used for wine previously, or just at the very least, American oak styled after the ones used for wine originally. Right. But I, I meant, like, wooden vessels as in, we put everything in that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So mine was also fooder-aged. Um for three weeks in the oak and then four weeks they probably mean like their their bright tank four weeks in their bright tank i think it's not 
I'm, I'm not sure of this, but I'm pretty sure they've talked about stainless steel fooders. I don't quite see the point of making it a fooder versus your, your typical tank. Yeah, I don't know. Other than, it may be a marketing thing. Other than marketing. Yeah. Anyways, uh, mine is a Pilsner. Mm. So it's got Tetanang and Hollertown Middle Fruit and then Sterling, which is a These surprise These are types of me. hops. Yeah. Strains of hops. Yeah. Uh, so, the, so the ones that sound more German, Tetanang is German also, but those those are traditional hops and they're more oil hops. So they have a lot of volatiles and smell and um, they, they boost effervescent. The, 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 the like of... flavor and presence of the beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And mine is called Actionable Intelligence. Yeah. So <laughs> for the people who are actually paying attention in the New Republic, there's a lot of actionable intelligence right now. <laughs> It's just a question of who's going to take action. So I feel like we're also hearkening back to Danny Kui with the second beer too. Oh yeah, totally. Um, and she's and, one of the people paying attention. I'm just saying. I mean, RIP to her crew, but yeah, yeah. The Xcal that wasn't great. Um, yeah, the Xcal folks did not have a good time in uh, in this book. Um, yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I think that brings us to the end of another. Uh, short and fun inking out loud episode. This has been episode 211, I believe. Um, next up, in fact, let me double check here. I think it's Sabriel part two. Yes, it is. Yeah. Sabriel part two. So, uh, you know, keep your, your eyes peeled for that one. If you haven't checked out Sabriel at all yet, highly recommend it. Really fun book, uh, start of a new series that we'll be doing over the next few months here. And, uh, and then, of course, we have our Patreon. Uh, if you want to support the show, please consider it on Patreon. Uh, I can say with full honesty, Inking Out Loud would not be occurring right now were it not for our Patreon supporters. Um, it's been a, a tough year in a lot of different ways. And that that support there has helped me uh, you know, keep paying for our hosting and software and things like that. So check us out at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is Lauren McCaffrey. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.